0: Well, good morning, friends. I hope you're well. Um, This is a message I gave for the Spanish church uh, a couple weeks ago with a translator. Uh, But uh, as I was preparing that week, I came across uh, an experiment, a study that was done by the Washington Post. So this is what happened. This is very interesting to me. Um, on January 12th, 2007, a fellow by the name of Joshua Bell, raise your hand if, you've, if you know that name. Okay, a couple of people know you've heard of Joshua Bell. Uh, well, as it stands, Joshua Bell is considered by many the best violinist of our time. Uh, and some people say he's the best ever. So I don't know enough about classical music to weigh in on that, but Joshua Bell, on January 12th, he went down into the D.C. Metro subway station with his multi-million dollar Stradivarius violin, with uh, wearing kind of an inconspicuous uh, baseball cap covering his face a little bit looking like a regular busser. And he began to play. And he put his you know, violin case out, kind of like people do. And for 45 minutes, he played. And in those 45 minutes, 1,097 people walked by. And seven of them stopped to listen to the music. You can actually see the video on YouTube. One of the best musicians of our time. This was an opportunity to have a up close and personal experience of what I'm sure would be um, sublime, you know, like Nirvana, just um, beauty and bliss. 1,097 people went by and seven people stopped to listen to the music. Everyone else, um, I can understand, you're in the subway because you have things to do, you have places to be, you have your mind focused on other things. So you don't really hear, you don't really pay attention to the music. Um, I get it. And as we look at the Christmas story as played out in the scriptures, that's how it begins in the sense of this. Jesus is born, the Messiah is given, and he's given to a world that's paying attention to other things and for so many people, even the people who were supposed to be ready and waiting for this, they missed it. They missed the opportunity and they missed the experience. But not everyone. In the Christmas story you have a few people who who stopped to listen to the music. And that's what we're going to pick it up today. We're going to consider some of those people. I'm going to say a quick prayer and we're going to dive into the scriptures with the hope that we'll hear what the Bible says and we won't be like the people who walked by and, and missed the chance to experience wonder and, and glory. Father God, let your word speak. Speak through me. Let it be evident who you are, uh, your message to us, your message to the world, the truth that is being communicated in your word, let that be made known to us. Um, Let your goodness, the goodness of your character, the truth of your gospel, let that be made known to us, and let us stand in awe and worship, and let us experience the beauty, the glory. Let us taste uh, you today. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of of your people, Israel. Simeon. Simeon experienced uh, the beauty. It says in verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says in verse 26, there was a truth revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 27, um, this same spirit guided him to meet baby Jesus on this day. Three verses in a row, I'll mention the Holy Spirit, and we see something here. Uh, Simeon was a man who experienced God. Um, The Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was speaking to him, communicating to him in this personal way, and the Holy Spirit was guiding him, leading him. After the first of the year, we are going to begin a series on the Holy Spirit. And this is a truth that I have been trying to emphasize to us, a truth that I want us knowing and and wondering about, to be honest. It's a truth I want us leaning in and paying attention to. It's this. The Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, he is to be experienced in our lives, very much like he was experienced by Simeon. This isn't just a a special, this this isn't just like unique people who had a special gift that we could never attain to. Um, This is for us, this spirit, who would speak to us and who would lead us, this spirit whom we are to experience. Well, Simeon experienced the Holy Spirit, and when he saw the child, he said in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon had a promise that he was waiting for, a promise that he held close, this also has been part of our conversation lately at Westview. This book of Luke begins and it ends with this same promise. Um, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Baptized meaning submerged, filled, overflowed. And then the end of the book ends with the same way. Jesus, speaking of the same promise, says, wait for the promise. This filling of the Holy Spirit, wait for it. And then you open the next page of Luke's writing, the book of Acts, and we read, the promise is for you and for your children. This promise of the Holy Spirit. Once more, a very big point that I want us knowing, thinking about, and we're going to be considering it more as uh, we enter the new year. What does that feel like? What does that feel like to experience the Holy Spirit? We're gonna consider a lot of things. We're gonna consider what it looks like, how it manifests when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're gonna begin the conversation of what happens internally. What does it feel like? What's going on in your heart when you experience the Holy Spirit? This is going to be January 1st. I add this little note because uh, I am aware that January 1st could be seen as not the most strategic time to start a new series because it's possible that uh, there's not as many people at church on January 1st because it's possible that people might be having a different experience the evening before. God bless you if that's your plan, but I just want to encourage you, regardless of how December 31st experiences for you, I want to encourage you to still wake up and come to church because we're going to be discussing an experience um, that is better than anything you can have December 31st through other means. Okay just put it in your calendar all right the, Sim, the the spirit was upon Simeon he experienced he he uh, he was guided by the Holy Spirit he he, he he heard from the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit spoke to him he experienced the Holy Spirit what's so special about Simeon that's a, that's a good question why is Simeon someone who experienced this Holy Spirit when so many other people didn't so many other people missed it so many other people were focused on other things and they did not experience this gift. What's special about Simeon? Well, we're supposed to be asking that question. And the text tells us, and you're going you're gonna to see that. I'm going to show you. Um, in verse 25, it says that Simeon was righteous and devout. Okay, well, what does that mean? And then there's a very important phrase. It says, Simeon, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning the the comfort of Israel. What does that mean? Well, before I explain what that means, I want to show you why I tell you that the text wants us asking this question. You you keep reading just a couple verses later and you get to verse 36. Someone else who experienced. Um, It says, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up on them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So here you have Anna, someone else who is experiencing someone. She's a prophet, meaning she hears from God. It's not just a religion. It's not... It's not just a, a, a list of beliefs, but it's a, it's a relationship. It's, a, it's an encounter. It's an experience. She's experiencing God as she is a prophet. And on this very day, she is guided by the Holy Spirit to encounter, to experience um, Jesus. What's special about Anna? Well, you see, Anna speaking with these other people who are getting the message and it says she's speaking to those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem which is the same thing that we see about Simeon someone who is waiting for the comfort the consolation of Israel so the people who caught it the people who didn't miss out the people who didn't wander by but stopped to listen to the music they were people who were waiting what does that mean what does it mean for us what does it what does it mean for them Simeon, it says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning the comfort of Israel. And if you were paying attention, when Nita read the scriptures, she quoted, um, or she not quoted, she read Isaiah 11. And we saw, is it Isaiah 11? Isaiah 40, verse 1 through 11 is what she read. But we see this very idea, comfort, comfort for my people. Um, Your sins are paid for. They were waiting for this comfort. And in this same promise, it's the same the very same things that we're discussing. Um, um, make way, uh, the way that's said in the, the old King James, that's in my mind for some reason, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Something that John the Baptist said. And it says the, um, what does it say? It says, God will show himself. The eyes of man will see, will experience. There's this promise Um, The coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, the coming of the Messiah. There's a promise that was given many years ago that people such as Simeon and Anna were waiting for. And they, the ones who are waiting, were the ones who experienced. The ones who received the gift were the ones who were waiting for it. So then when it comes to us, the question that I would like us to consider is what does this mean for us? The text, the scriptures, God wants us to know that the people who got it were the people who were waiting for it. Um, the message given by John the Baptist in pertaining to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Messiah was prepare ye the way of the Lord, make ready, make ready, he's coming, be ready, be ready, don't be someone who's gonna miss it, be ready, be ready, be ready. Be ready. Simeon and Anna were ready, they were waiting. What does this mean for us to be ready? Good question. Well, to answer that, we're going to look at another New Testament passage that describes the heart posture of the one who will be ready when, when Jesus returns. Because just as Jesus came once as a baby, um, we know he's, he's coming again. So, um, let's jump forward to another New Testament passage. This is Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 17. Um, This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and it goes like this. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So here, the life of the Christian is described as someone who is eagerly waiting, eagerly awaiting for Jesus, much in the same way as Simeon and Anna were waiting for the Messiah. Um, So, what does it mean to wait? It's not like we're just sitting by the phone, staring at it, waiting for it to answer. Um, We're living our lives. So, what does it mean to live a life while waiting? Well, sometimes the best way to describe something is to... Describe the opposite, and so what the apostle Paul has done here is he has a little, a little uh, description of compare and contrast. Um, those who are living a life of of waiting, and those who are not. Um, and so again, he says, "Join in following my example, brothers and sisters." Um, And he says, keep your eyes on those who live as we do, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So we're discussing those who are waiting and those who are living as what he calls enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, many, many are living that way. And he says, uh, when I was with you, I told you about this often, and I'm telling you now with tears. Um, well, the first thing he says is their, their destiny is destruction, and he's comparing it with those who are waiting for a savior, and and for us, our citizenship is in heaven. Okay. How shall I begin on this note? I realize... This is a this is a piercing matter. Whenever you have a scripture that draws attention to the judgment of God, because that's certainly what's at play here. I realize that's a piercing matter, um, and I also realize that it's very easy to um, it's very easy to go along on your Christian life and even listen to Christian teachers and not hear a whole lot about that aspect of the message, Um, God's judgment, destruction. But that wasn't the approach of the Apostle Paul. He says, often, he says, often I told you about this. He says, often I told you about it with tears. With tears, I often told you that many um, live their lives as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Jesus told us the same thing, Matthew 7. Um, wide is the road to destruction. Same word, and many many go down that road. And uh, the Apostle Paul spoke about it often. And he did so with tears. And that's also something that is very Notable. Lord, help us if we're the kind of people who speak about the judgment of God with pride or arrogance or, or a, a smugness. That's not the way that we approach such matters. If God is living in us, if the Holy Spirit is living in us, who was certainly living in the Apostle Paul, we're going to speak about these things often because they're going to weigh on our hearts. Um, Dear Christian, if the coming judgment of God isn't something you think about or speak about often, can I just tell you I'm concerned? It's a weighty matter. It's a weighty matter, so it should weigh upon your hearts. It should be something you think about, and it should be something you speak about but in the same way that the Apostle Paul did, with tears. Jesus spoke about it in the same way. He wept when he considered Jerusalem. So much, so much, I've wanted to gather you and embrace you, but you refused. And he spoke about the the destruction that was coming upon her. It's the same idea. If we feel what God feels, if he's living inside of us, We have a heart that longs for sinners to know redemption. And we have a heart that is heavy with the awareness of God's coming judgment. That's something he felt, something he spoke about often with tears. And it's a weight that we too should carry. Um, And then he describes people that he calls enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their destiny is destruction. I think that's that's, uh, self-explanatory. He says, their God is their stomach. What does that mean? Well, your stomach is, is uh, your, your appetites. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. I love to cook. If you know me, you know that about me. I love to cook. I think about it a lot. I, I cook a lot. I love to eat. It's connected. My love of cooking, my love of eating, Connected, And my love of sharing food, giving food to others, it's all part of the same flow. God gave us stomachs. God has invented all pleasures that we know. He's good. But what does it mean if our stomach is our God? Well, it simply means that the normal pleasures... Of this world are our first priority. It says these people ultimately their first priority isn't God, their first priority is their normal appetites. Um, their God is their stomach and um, and their glory is their shame. that's a, a needs to be unpacked a little bit. their glory is their shame is uh, earlier in the passage, earlier in this same chapter, um, the Apostle Paul speaks about uh, you know, the Christian life and he says we put no confidence in the flesh. And this is an idea that he spoke about in a lot of ways. Sometimes he said that far be it from me to boast in anything other than the cross of Jesus. To help you understand, if you go back, just what he said earlier, when he's talking about people who live as enemies, he doesn't just say living as enemies of Jesus. He says enemies of the cross. Now that's very important. There's very good reason to think that the Apostle Paul is actually speaking about, first, about people who bear the name Christian, people who consider themselves Christians and people who are even showing other people the way that they think we are to live the Christian life. But there's an element that the Apostle Paul is always trying to emphasize that his opponents did not grasp and it's the message of the cross. If the cross is not at the center of our Christianity, we stand as enemies. What does that mean? Well, the message of the cross is that we need a Savior and that apart from God, our hearts are not good. And the message of the cross is simply showing That God is a God of love who sent his son to be our savior. And now, the lives we live and the gifts we have and the goodness we have and everything that we have to be thankful for, we can look to the cross, to the price that was paid by Jesus. He is our gift. He is our hope. He is our confidence. As the Apostle Paul said earlier, we put no confidence in the flesh. The only thing we boast about is the cross. Meaning this, I'm going to break it down for you as simple as I can. We all have a sense of pride in life. You can't escape that. We all have a sense of confidence, something that we're proud of, something that we stand on. And for the Christian, what we stand on is the cross. God loved me. He loves me. I don't deserve it. There's nothing good in me. That's something else the apostle said. I know that there's nothing good that dwells in me. That is in my flesh. But instead, he says, I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. But not I. But Christ lives within me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Meaning this is our boast. This is our confidence. We have a Savior who loves us. That is where we put all of our hope, all of our heart, all of our focus, all of our confidence. Why? Why will I enter the gates of glory? Because of the cross. Why can I stand before God today? Because of the cross. Why can I feel good about myself? We all want to feel good about ourselves. Why can I, as a sinner, feel good about myself? Because he lives in me. And he loves me. That's Philippians chapter 2. In contrast, he says, their glory is their shame. Meaning, the life that we live on our own, apart from God, the life that he died for, the life that is not good. Um, Those who live as enemies of the cross, they feel good about that life. Um, Things that they should feel ashamed of, they feel proud of. That's what he's getting at. Beloved, there is a posture in life that makes forgiveness impossible. Do you hear that? There's a posture before God that makes forgiveness impossible. We stand, Christians, we stand and we look to the cross and we say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Every day I need your forgiveness. That's my only hope. I continue to look to you. But those who glory in their shame, um, I'm proud of the life I've lived. I feel good about the life I live. I'm not ashamed. I'm proud of it. That's what he's getting at. Their glory is their shame. Um, And then kind of the, the final thing he says is their mind is set on earthly things. Once more, what's our first focus in life? For that is our God. What is our first priority in life? For that is our God. And as sinners, we very easily forget. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I'm not trying to tell you that as a Christian I wake up every morning and I'm like, I can't wait to serve God. I can't wait to put him first in all things. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Instead I wake up and I'm continually reminded of the ways that I fall short. And so I I remember, I remember, I, I remind myself and I'm continually looking not just to Jesus as God, not just to Jesus as my example, but to Jesus as my savior. And that's what it says. We, we eagerly await a savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ. We continually wait for a savior knowing that we need him. I can tell you that was the heart posture of Simeon and Anna and everyone uh, whom the Holy Spirit lives in. We look to him as Savior. um, And it says, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And I draw your attention to this because this is a truth that I want to remind you of. Our hope is a physical hope. Um, The life that is waiting for us is a physical life. The resurrection of the body. I don't know what food will be like when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom here on earth, I don't know if you know that. Heaven will be here. You know that? Forever and ever. It's coming down and we'll dwell here. Um, but there's going to be food, there's going to be stomachs, um, there's going to be pleasures. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's all part of the promise. So if you, like me, are motivated by pleasures and tastes and you have temptations to prioritize those things over God, to make your pursuit of pleasures your God, if if you have that temptation, I do. It's one of the things to be reminded of. There are far better pleasures to come. So let's put him first in all things. I have one more verse. And then we're going to do a time of q and I suspect that I said various things that are drawing uh, questions in your mind. Um, we're going to look at the first six verses of Psalm 137. So this is written way before Jesus. "'By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, "'Sing us one of the songs of Zion.'" How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. There's a song by the rivers of Babylon. I knew it before I was a Christian because one of the bands I used to listen to back in my younger years used to sing this song. But that's how it goes. By the, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and and wept when we remembered Zion. Let me tell you what was going on here because it's relevant to our conversation today. Uh, the people of Israel were taken. Okay, this was like 700 years before Jesus, 600 years. Um, they were taken as exiles into Babylon. We've discussed it before. And God's word to them then was you're going to be here for a little while. Okay, so get comfortable. Build lives. You're going to be here for a while. Be a blessing to the city. Things that pertain to us. But eventually, you're going to go back to Zion, meaning Jerusalem. Eventually, you're going to go back. But for now, get comfortable and be a blessing to the city. Well, so here you have someone who is in that place. um, And they're saying... If I ever forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. The city of God. Our hope is a city. Our hope is a physical city that's going to be here. And back, back then, the psalmist said, don't let me ever forget. I'll live in Babylon. But don't let me forever forget this city. If I do, let my functions fail to work. If I don't consider Jerusalem, the city of God, my highest joy, don't let me forget, don't let me forget, don't let me forget. And you know something really sad? When God made the way for the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem, most of them decided not to. Most of them decided that they loved their lives in Babylon so much that they were content. And the news that they could return to Jerusalem did not stir their hearts, did not awaken them. Their highest joy was not the city of God. They were not a people who were waiting. So for most of them, they were a people who missed out. Beloved, here we are, waiting. We're waiting for our Messiah to return There are many pleasures in this life, I know it. We share them together, but let's do what he's saying here. Let's keep the city our highest joy. Let's be a people who are reminding ourselves, God is greater, Lord, help me live for you. Lord, forgive my sin. Lord, live in me, work in me. And Lord, work in me so that I'm ready, so that I'm someone who's waiting. Let's, let us live that together, Westview. It's very much worth it. Lord God, my prayer is that we would experience you as we're waiting, just like Simeon did, just like Anna did, Lord. As your Holy Spirit is in us, you'd be speaking to us, guiding us, and shaping us to be a people who are ready, a people who are waiting, a people who are putting you forward as our highest joy, And knowing and clinging to you as Savior. Lord, I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Adrian.
1: Thank you so much. We're now going to go to a time... Sorry. the. (laughs) Thank you. We're going to do a time of Q&A. If you have any questions... Um, from that message, anything that came up and you'd like to get more clarification on, you can either text it to the number that's going to be on the screen behind me, or you can just raise your hand and we can bring you a microphone. So we did just get a question. It says, can you give a brief explanation of the present heaven and the future heaven on earth?
0: I'd be very glad to. Um, This is how I understand the matter. When uh, Jesus was on the cross, he told the thief beside him who, who looked to him, um, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So what I gather from that is those who die in the Lord, they're with him. And I don't know exactly how that works, but in spirit with Jesus. That's the present state. But the future state of heaven is when Jesus returns and one of the first orders of business is the resurrection of the body. Um, And those who have trusted in him then will dwell here in the new heavens and the new earth. It'll be different than the earth we have now. I mean, things are going to function different. Everything will be renewed. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There'll be no longer bloodshed, nor tears, nor pain, nor any of the things that we don't like. The end of death, that'll be forgotten. Um, But when Jesus returns, everyone who is with him now spiritually will um, be resurrected physically. And here, um, we will
1: dwell with the Lord um, in the flesh. Does this mean there won't be steak in heaven? You know, I've wondered.
0: (laughs) It's anyone's guess. But there's good reason to believe we'll be vegans.
1: (laughs) Vegetarians, at least. (laughs) All the vegans can say amen now. (laughs) Um, Any questions in the room? Yeah.
0: Yes, hello, Westview. Hello, Charlie. You inspired me to ask you a question and and to make an invitation. So I'm asking you, uh, may I make this invitation that was inspired by your teaching?
1: May I make an invitation to the congregation that was inspired by your teaching? Uh, I invite the congregation to pray that in 2023, we go and sing and play in subways, in shopping centers, in parks on Montreal at the Tam Tam. Thank you.
0: You know, I, I'm not even kidding when I say I've considered it's like a hundred dollars getting like my busing license. I used to do it. I used to play music, uh I used to set up shop at like farmers markets and Things like that. It's just a a way to meet people, and it's enjoyable. Yeah, I'll definitely pray to that accord. What are ways that we could be more out there?
1: Uh, A question that came in on the text line says, can you give some practical ways to be waiting for him while living our busy life?
0: Yeah, um... For me, um, the most practical things is to, uh, like I say, I don't wake up in the morning thinking, you know, I can't wait to live for God. Usually it's like, I need coffee and a donut. <laughs> um, and then the next temptation is, I want to read the news, I want to check Facebook. And then it's like an hour later, and it's like, I haven't done anything functional you know helpful or whatever um so a real simple something with waiting for him is putting him first trying to put him first keeping him as our highest joy so there's this big element of reminding yourself preaching to yourself um yes there's a lot of things that i would like to do things that seem important but what's more important um so setting aside that time, it doesn't have to be the first thing you do when you wake up. I know for me, if I neglect it first, then I, I usually, um, if I go to Facebook before I go to the scriptures, I will very often not go to the scriptures for my personal devotion. You know, as a pastor, I study the scriptures to, you know, preach and stuff. But there's something different about going to the scriptures just as my own uh desire to connect with God. So, um, so that's one example. I think anytime there is just a temptation, really, to, to prioritize something above him. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say, like, every single Christian event you have to go to and you can't. I mean people can take the things to like unhealthy extremes where it's like I can never watch TV because I could be praying <laughs> you know um there is certainly an element of we trust the spirit and um and uh and God has given many pleasures to the world for us to receive with thanksgiving um you can you can watch TV to the glory of God, you can have a stake to the glory of God. So this is a longer conversation than Amen. I have time to get into at the moment, but um, I hope that rambling was helpful. Yeah,
1: thank you. Any uh, questions in the room? Uh, is there anyone? Sorry, it's sometimes hard to see with the lights up here. Um, okay, so we did get a question Um that uh, references John 14, two to four says, Jesus is saying, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you uh, that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So how is heaven going to be on earth? Just to clarify.
0: Great question. Um, So, um, what we see in Revelation is I saw the new city coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. So, basically, what is in heaven is coming here. So, it is both true when Jesus says, I'm going there, and I'm going to make a place there, but it's going to be here. It's because the idea is it's coming from there to
1: here. So... Yeah, good question. Thank you so much, Pastor Charlie.